0: Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Psalms. The third psalm reads, O Lord, how many are my foes! Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, There is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. This is the word of the Lord. Grace be to God. Hey, good morning, friends, friends of the way, friends near, friends far. August nine, all day today. Good to see you, um, or good for you to see me rather. I cannot see any of you. Um, this morning, we are starting an entire series about six sermons on anxiety. We're calling it "O oh Anxious Heart." Now, why why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Uh, about one fifth of our American culture. Identify, self identifies as having anxiety. Um, but researchers, so in the academy across the humanities, if you do a deep dive into this field, estimate that o- over three quarters of us actually experience anxiety. And um, we would not necessarily term it that or call it that, um, but w- so why? Because they, 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 posit or submit that that because it's so chronic, because it's been an ever-present reality and existence, um, that many people uh, don't know that, or would not term it, anxiety. Um, we've had a deep, lifelong co- uh, coping mechanism of anxiety present in our lives. Um, and many of us, some of, some of us do not know this. Um, we're beginning maybe to get a hint of this or beginning even to know that uh, whatever, um, however we've managed anxiety in the past, we are beginning to find out that now uh, it is more and more difficult to do so. Uh, because now it has begun to touch everything. So with increased Responsibilities increased, web of relationship, kids, spouse, school, stress, work. uh, uh, Now with anxiety, even beginning to touch um, our bodies, ulcers, high blood pressure, you name it. um, We're beginning to see real physical fallout um, from anxiety. I I, I tell my kids uh, this uh, usually on their birthdays. I, 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 I tell them this, you know, with every year. Um, god's going to give you more responsibilities there there are more chores more good burdens that you have on your life and those burdens are accompanied they're great they're great gifts but they're also um, they're accompanied with great strains and stresses uh, you add to all of this a news feed that keeps adding the onnu and the angst and the ever um uh feelings of things are not right. So um, an anxiety sometimes will present itself as a low-grade fear or a low-grade panic. It's a a worry unattached to a specific threat. It's very vague, and it just hangs with you. Okay, that's what we're talking about. And so we're going to have a six-part series, and we're going to do a lot of things. We want to identify anxiety. We want to see it for what it is. We want to draw it out before God. The scriptures call God uh, the very best counselor, a wonderful counselor. And we want to understand our hearts, and we want to dr- jump into the process of healing our hearts. And we want to learn how to, and this, I'm going to save this for the end, but we do want to learn how to manage our hearts, especially in the middle of anxiety. And so uh, some of that will feel like a, a practical uh, counseling session. I want you to know that this is not just a pastor giving you homespun wisdom over years of counseling. Um, We're first going to go to the Word, okay? And we're going to say, what does God's Word say when um, confronted with our own anxiety? And then we're going to go to the very best research across the academy, and also those that are Jesus followers, and we're going to see where those discoveries intersect right we're going to keep God's word primary, and then we're going to look at the world, all the helpful f- things the world has to say about anxiety, and we're going to see this we're going to see where they intersect where we can understand our own stories in light of god's stories so this first one uh, uh we're going to explore this first one in psalms three psalm three and, and I think, I think we maybe think of the Psalms appropriately as, as uh, emotional authenticity and honesty. Uh, my generation, Gen X, uh, demanded authenticity. We were the generation that coined the term keeping it real. All right, So we might think to ourselves that we have an emotionally honest generation. But I think David in the Psalms even gives my generation some uneasiness. So uh, case in point, when the scripture was read for us this morning, um, where did you wince a little bit? Like, where did it feel not very palatable to you? Like, where did you want to say, "Eh, Dave, 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 slow down, uh, too much information? It was probably around verse 7 of Psalm 3, right? Where David begins to go off the rails a little bit, and he says, you strike my enemies on the cheek. And then he goes, you break the teeth of the wicked. Even for my generation, that begins to be a little too honest for us. So if you're a parent and you are a well-trained citizen a cosmopolitan person and you're trying to train up a small little beautiful citizen um you might say to david coming to verse 7 david i want you i want you to express yourself okay but we don't say that about our enemies okay sometimes we don't say everything on our minds okay Say your words, but not those words, okay? I mean, that's how we would talk to David. Have you heard of the phrase, uh, keyboard Tim, or keyboard Jerry, or keyboard Karen? It just means this. It means that people will say things from behind a keyboard, what they won't say in a public space. So the Psalms are Keyboard David, and we really don't like it. And I'll tell you why, is because we want a showered, scented, and civilized David that we can invite into the backyard with our friends. And when he says stuff like, you break the teeth of the wicked, we think, that's maybe not the Christianity we want to portray, David. Um, We feel uncomfortable with Keyboard David. Now, the reason why this is so important and so huge for us is the Psalms give us a look at what's inside of us. They do. Um, that's big in and of itself. And then they do this. They give us an opportunity to draw out what's inside of us. They It's pulled out. Uh w- we have a small cultural joke, don't we? Uh, uh, if you say something unpopular or contradictory or bold or politically incorrect, um, you can soften it a bit and say, oh, did I say that out loud? And that's supposed to get a few chuckles. Um, uh, the Psalms draw this out, um, but I think the Psalms give us a very unique way to express our emotions. Uh, more than any other strategy. Um, So how so? How so? Okay. The religious strategy, and I say religious in a very negative way. The religious strategy um, when it comes to expressing emotions is this. Um, Emotions make us all feel very uncomfortable. So what we do is we deny them and we reject them and we highly control them and we squelch them and we suppress them and we push them down and we never show the instability of emotion. No, you, what, you fight to keep it together and get it together. That is a religious, moral, behavior-modifying approach to emotions, but that's not the Psalms. That's a religious approach to emotions, but it's not the Psalms. There's, a, there's actually a non-religious strategy when it comes to our emotions. And it's this. You let it all out. Uh, it doesn't matter what you say, where you say it, who you say it to. Uh, I think we all have uh, an instant pot by now. Right. Um, um, the, the non-religious strategy to emotions is: look, let the steam go, let the uh, let the pressure out of the instant pot. Say your truth loud and proud. Better out than in. Expel it to the world. Um, but that's not the Psalms either. When it comes to emotions, the Psalms do something very different from both of those strategies. Right, differing from the religious or the non-religious approach. The Psalms invite you and they invite me to pray your emotions. Yes, get them out. Yes, get them out. But expel them, right? Release the steam before the Father, in front of the Father, to our Father. That's big. That's really, really big. Um, it, it, because the Psalms show us this. Um, we don 't try to package our prayers as finely crafted, careful, precise, worked on, qualified, rewritten balls of finery until they 're just emotionless and and using rhetorically beautiful sounding words, no baloney before we can polish them up. We unload them immediately, right The reason why we call it raw is we 're saying we don't we don't refine them. Um, we don't process um, our emotions in ourselves, by ourselves, what? No, no, no. We, we process our emotions in front of, in the face of, before our Heavenly Father. Right there. Right there. Raw as is. And we process them with Him. Um, uh, so that's not packing them down. That's not suppressing them. Right, and it's also what not exploding all of our junk onto others where it could use someone or injure someone um, the psalms are unique when it comes to understanding and seeing what's in our hearts and pulling them out um, uh, they're they're just as unique so they're unique when it comes to emotions, but they're unique when we talk about anxiety and fears so uh, David is in this situation uh, he's in a real real life and death situation. Um, He's being chased. He has real parenting guilt. Uh, He has real uh, loss of reputation. He has real loss of job and position. And he says something in Psalm 3. I can sleep. (laughs) I'm sleeping. (laughs) So David apparently has discovered something that helps him manage his anxious heart. So, a couple things here. This is what I want. I want us to see. Um, and we're going to see this from Psalm three. What is it that we really can't put our finger on when it comes to our anxious heart? And then the second part I want to look at is this. When David finds that out. What are his first three moves? And it may be internal, but what are, what are his first three things that comes to his heart and mind when he finds it out? So what is it that we can't put our finger on when it comes to anxiety? What is it? In Psalm 3, uh, uh, Absalom has started his real uh, coup attempt on David and the throne, um, Absalom basically is saying, um, "I want to be king now. I'll take your place." And so David is is running from the city and the palace. Uh, it's like Saddam on the run, or Bin Laden on the run, or Gaddafi on the run. Maybe less terroristy, but but um, the same idea for his life, and willing to hide anywhere, even a hole in the ground. And he says this, and this is the first part, as he says, you know, many are my my enemies, many are my foes, Um, everybody's after me. His body and his being, so his body has a real threat. There's a real physical danger. There's a material danger. There's a real position loss. There's a real um, parent-child conflict. Um, There's a real chance that he might die. All very real. So, you have very real physical material anxieties attached to clear and real physical material threats. That's true. Anxiety is there. And for the most part, you know how to put your finger on those. Right? Um, I am in a fight with my daughter or son. You get it. You can find it. That's not the, what we're talking about. But there is something below those ain't fears and anxiety that David finds, and he admits to. And it's the it's the hard one. Uh, it's the it's the one. It's the anxiety where it's hard to put our finger on, because it we can't find a connection to a real physical or material threat so he says this uh, and he gets to what is below the real threat many are my enemies that's the the real one and the real defined one and then he says something else in verse 2 it's a phrase that just gets it he says many are saying this there is no salvation for him in God so so Back up a little bit. The Twitter verse is saying this about David. God's not going to pull you from this one. Like the Twitter verse is saying, he's done. Um, king David has now been canceled. He's not coming back from this one. This is what they're saying about the king. Um, this is what they're saying. They're saying, look, uh, uh, the pleasure of God, the spotlight, the spotlight of God's pleasure has moved on from him as king. So this is what they're doing, is they're actually starting to attack his identity and his calling that says, Dave, you're the king. Because do you remember what happened to Saul? God left Saul. He took the position from Saul and then he moved the spotlight over to David. Um, If we look at David, he has a a torrid affair and then he orchestrates a premeditated murder plan and it works. So the evidence says this to the people and to David, "Mm, God is now done with you. I want you to see this. There is a psychological and physical aspect that he's being attacked, but I want you to see the spiritual element. The attack is there too. What does this tell us? Well, it tells us a lot. In in 1947, uh, W.H. Auden, he wrote a poem which... Really comes off as a as a book <laughs> called the age the age of anxiety. The the description of our modern times. And um, if if you appeal to the humanities across discipline um, now across the, in the academy, um, th- there is a large consensus that we have far more anxiety than any of our predecessors. And. Um, in modernity now this has only happened recently in modernity we have finally made this distinction and discovered the difference between fear and anxiety now David knew this thousands of years ago but it's only recently that I think modern psychology has caught up um Rollo May and Viktor Frankl um in the 1950s actually were pioneers um To make this distinction and it is now a wide consensus in psychology and they began to clearly mark out the difference between fear and anxiety Um, so to give you an example this is if, if you're walking along now right in in 2020 and you're walking along the sidewalk and you have maybe a kid or two with you and up ahead you see a herd of jostling Teenagers and they have no masks. Oh no, Um, a a healthy type of fear kicks in, and a good thing is being threatened your kids, yourself. And you know, this um, um, uh, there's a fight or flight. (laughs) Do I fight the teenagers or do I flee from the teenagers? And your response is two things. And I get this from Frankel. Your response is specific and it is constructive, meaning helpful to the situation. Okay? Specific and constructive. So what you do is you make sure you have your masks on and you pull your kids across the street to avoid the herd of jostling teenagers. Now, now that's a good description of fear. You can You can respond to it in specific and constructive ways. Um, but there's a different type, and this was pioneered by both May and Frankel and also the psalmist David, as the case may be but 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 um, uh, they call this anxiety, so it could this could happen in the afternoon or it could happen for many of you late at night. You feel hollow and fragile, and you sense that the self is threatened in some way and it pulls up the same mental energy and it pulls up the same adrenaline and it pulls up the same response mechanisms but it's not specific it's vague and it's general you don't know specifically and so you can't be constructive to use Frankel's word um, because it's not defined, you can't do anything about it, it doesn't push you to action you don't know how to act because you don't know what it is and so what is it? It, it freezes you. So, so, so May and Frankel, um, I'm going to encapsulate a lot of their work. Um, fear is, is like a Southern California winter rain. It's infrequent. It passes very quickly. And everything is better and greener for it. That's fear. Um, anxiety Is like Seattle (laughs) it's drizzling all the time and if it's not drizzling it's uh, misting and if it's not misting it's um, fog and if it's not fog it's cloudy with a chance of high-priced coffee anxiety is like Seattle it's always around and it's very vague and it's very diffuse and it's very nonspecific and your physical systems are always on to some degree. Fight or flight, fight or flight, fight or flight, fight or flight. I don't know. I don't know what to do. See, see it, that, those physical systems were designed to be infrequent. And they were only to be fired up when they're specific. But what happens? What happens when they're always on? Well, there is real physical impact on our bodies. Right? Real ulcers. High blood pressure, uh, a strain on the endocrine system, muscles, sleep deprivation, um, developmental problems, brain activity, appetites, um, a strain on the heart, longevity. Uh, There's real physical impact related and connected to a diffuse, non-specific anxiety that is always hanging around. So that vague anxiety. It is a threat, and David finds it, it's a threat to the self. It's a threat to identity. It might be this. It might be something is threatened that defines who you are as a person. It might be something that is slowly leaving your control And you've used that to define who you are and how you live and your worth. This kills the self. Uh, Like many of you, I've been watching uh, that Last Dance documentary uh, about Michael Jordan, The Bulls. And it's interesting to watch something. Um, Fear ignites an amazing explosive energy on the court. And you hear this over and over in the interviews is, I hate, I, I, I'm afraid, I fear losing. You, you see it played out. There is a fear of not winning because losing communicates something entirely different to the self. Um, David, um, th- David gets it. He says, oh, this kingship speaks to who I am. If I'm worth anything, my identity, and I'm losing it all. So uh, how do do we know that? Especially, let's say, with these basketball players who hate losing. Um, When the playing days are over and you age out of the league, I'm going to borrow a David Foster Wallace line here, is do I always have to be the memory of me and that self is now touched because you are not maintaining the physical winning you cannot and anxiety is deeply deeply felt because it's been attached to who you are how you've defined yourself now fear is normal i want you, i want to affirm that but anxiety is the thing that slowly tears and stabs and melts the self um, so what does David do when he sees both, right? I see the physical threats and the threat to my identity, myself, my existence, my value, my worth, whatever it is. So David has three moves and they're really brief, um, but they're, they're the first three things he does when he realizes that, oh, I have, I have fears of real physical threats and then I have a deep lasting anxiety. Um, the first thing he does is follow his captain. That's number one. Number two, he shifts his weight. I'll explain what that means. And third thing is his soul calls for a sub. So I want to look at that first one. He follows his captain. Um, Now, does he say this in Psalm 3? Does David say, um, okay, wow, I'm really glad you're a shield for me? No, he doesn't say that. He says, you are a shield to me? No, he doesn't say that. He says, you, you you shield me from every danger? Nope. And say that. What does he say? You are a shield around me. Now, there are different types of ancient shields um, that we can see um, in uh, Far East, Near East, um, uh, uh, ancient cultures, but also moving to Greek and Roman cultures as well. There's a little shield that you have on your arm, and what you can do is you are the one moving. And You're the one calling the shots. You're the one that has to be on your toes because you're reacting according to what's in front of your face. And in some sense, you are the captain of your own movements and what's happening. You have a little shield, and you control. Um, you're assessing. You're responding. Uh, but there's another shield, and it's a very, very large shield. It's sometimes even called a door shield. It's that big. And what it does is it goes all the way up to your head, from your head to your toes, and it even slightly curves to uh, get some of the angles of your side. Now, when do you use the shield that goes around you, that door shield? What is that for? It's used when you are going into horrible danger like when you are the one attacking a city and this is what's going to happen you know there are going to be rocks um, and boulders from the walls there's going to be hot oil from the walls, boiling water from the walls, there's going to be arrows and slings Um, there's going to be sewage from the walls there's going to be sometimes even um corpses that hold disease and dead animals will be thrown from the walls um uh, uh you even have some accounts where there are feces thrown from the walls so does david say this ah oh, my soul knows that you will protect me from all danger no does 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 David say, I know you're not going to let bad things happen to me because bad things don't happen to good people? No, he doesn't say that. He's saying this, look, this shield works and only works when I follow my captain In many ways, you are bringing me into the danger. You will not shield me from danger happening. But you will shield me in the danger. If you are a Christian this morning, hear this, hear this. Anything horrible that happens to you, is a shield to you. God is using that to protect you. If it hurts in any way today, it is because your captain is shielding you from a bigger hurt. I was reading this from Tim Keller this past week. It was so sweet. He said this, Obedience is so very hard. Disobedience is lethal. David is grabbing a hold of this idea, and it's the only thing he knows. And he says, I'm going to follow my captain. I'm going to follow my captain. A speck of obedience into mayhem and danger and hurt and brokenness, a a speck of obedience is better than a 100 megatons of safe-looking disobedience. See, God's protection only goes forward as he goes forward. God's protection doesn't work in retreat and disobedience remember this we just covered this in the the past few weeks Jesus himself is so overwhelmed in the garden he's so filled with dread and fear and he even says it I don't want to do this but your will be done and God's will leads him onto the cross and into the ground So David's first move is, I'm going to follow you. I I don't understand it, but I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you, Captain. Number two, um, he shifts his weight. He shifts his weight. This is the second part of verse three. Um, David says something interesting. He says, "Uh, uh, but you are my glory and the lifter of my head. This is the second move. You're my captain. I'm going to follow you. But you are my glory. Now, David would not say that. He would not say, but you are my glory, unless something else had been his glory. See, th- these are all the things that he knew that, oh, I've built my identity upon. And now they've been taken away. Security, reputation, me as a dad, me as a king, me having power, me having wealth, me having influence. And now people look at me and just know me as what? The runner. The canceled king runner. This is this is the things uh, David might try to say. I'm a good parent. Um, no. Uh, your boy wants to kill you. Oh, okay. Um, I think I'm a pretty good king. Um, you're running. Okay? That's how good you are. He might say, um, I I have power and influence and... No, 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 no. Everyone thinks you're canceled, buddy. Um, here's a guy who's filled with anxiety because what... um, you can feel that he has put his glory in those things in hebrew the word glory and some of you know this already um, glory means weight i've 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 put my weight there i've put my weight there i've put my significance there i've put my se- security there so <laughs> if you locate your glory. If you locate your anxiety. If you locate your anxiety. I will bet you $100 and a Grubhub coupon. That if you find out where your anxiety is. You will probably locate your where your glory is. Where you've put your weight. And David finds it. And then he, this is what he does. That's his second move. He shifts his weight. He finds it where his weight was inappropriately, disordered. And then he shifts his weight to God as his security. God is his weight. God is his glory. God is his identity. God is his pursuit. God is his worth. God is his value. So this is what he does. He says, I'm going to follow my captain anywhere. It's safer anywhere with my captain than anywhere else where I think it might be safe. And then he shifts his weight. My glory's been elsewhere, and I'm going to put my glory back on God. This is the third thing, though, is that his glory, his, uh, rather, his soul calls out for a sub. His soul calls out for a sub. So don't miss one. this one. I think it's the most important one. Uh, but this is, it, is he sees God... As a substitute for David himself. So here's a question for you. Um, It's kind of amusing. How How does David know that God is proud of him, approves of him, likes him? How does he know that? He has failed in every possible way, in every category. He has broken every single one of the Ten Commandments. And David knows that God is for him. (laughs) Like, on what basis? Like, what, on what basis? Is this just like a shred of hopeful, positive thinking? Uh, 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 This is, this is why this one's huge is like, if, if you could know that for sure, right? How do I know that God is for me? How do I know that? Um, You would be the anxiety guru master. Like you would be Teflon to anxiety. Like if you had, if you knew this, um, it, it, it would be, it would be curative, How does David know this? How does David know that God, when on paper he has like failed every possible way, Um, verse four he says this. He says, "I'm going to cry to you. What? Because of your holy hill. I'm going to cry to you because of your holy hill." He says that in verse four. Um, There's an idea there. Oh, sins can be dealt with. Sins can be forgiven through a sacrifice on an altar. But there's more here. That is true. He knows that that is a mechanism that God has given so that there's um, sacrifice and forgiveness. So that is true. But there's interesting. David has repeated the very same words that Abraham, what, has said in Genesis 15 Abraham is also frightened in Genesis 15 also anxious and and what does God say to Abraham I am your shield and your glory I am your great reward See, what it, he, David is here. David is thinking about Genesis 15. Um, what is so powerful about Genesis 15? It's where we see a substitute, a little prefigure of what we're going to see, Jesus' substitute on the cross. God comes to Abram. Get up, you and me. We're going to make a contract. The ancient contract. What is it? I've said this before. Some of you may know it. You take um, a goat and a heifer and a ram and birds, and you cut them in half. That's that's pretty gruesome. I mean, uh, talk about a memorable contract. You cut them in half. And you let the blood, um, you do it in a channel of dirt so that the blood comes to the center. And then both people who are making the contract walk through the ditch and you get a lot of blood on your feet, different, diverse animal blood on your feet. And it's a contract, it's a vow, it's an ancient one. Because um, w- what happens is this, is when both people walk through the pieces, what you're saying is this, look, if I don't hold up my end of the bargain, what has happened to these animals, may it happen to me. All right? Um, that night, uh, God went through them, And then did Abraham go through? No. A theophany, a fire, the presence of Jesus while Abraham sleeps goes through on Abraham's behalf as a substitute. What David's calling back to what happened with Abraham. And he's saying, oh, you know how I know. You You know how I know? You know how I know? I've failed you in every possible way. I've broken every commandment. I've broken, I have messed up in every category with the affair and the murder and me running away and bad things with my son and my family's falling apart. I have failed in every way. But I know God is for me because look back there. God is my substitute. See, uh, God is saying, you get these blessings even if I get cut up. The price of your disobedience, is on me. The blood flows from me in this contract. This is what David didn't know, but this is what we know. David didn't know this, but this is what we know. Darkness did come and Jesus was cut off. Right? And that tells David, and it tells us, Oh. Every single threat that I can imagine will not, cannot touch me. Me, the self, my existence. I have a substitute. I have a substitute, I have a substitute. And listen to this. This is for your encouragement and anxious heart this morning to the extent that that idea, and not just idea, but that person is your weight and is your glory, is the degree to which anxiety can have power or no power over you. I have a substitute. Um, What does David do when he sees the real threats, right? And then the threats underneath the physical threats. What he says, I'm gonna follow you. I am going to follow you. And what does he say? My soul needs a substitute. My soul needs a substitute. Pray into that with me, okay? Love you guys, our Father in heaven. Our hearts are churning with anxiety that vague feeling we cannot put our finger on but when we find it we find that we have put our glory somewhere else help us shift it have our hearts cry out to you this morning for you as substitute Bring that to our anxious hearts. Bring it to our anxious hearts. And may we find relief in you, our Savior, but, and also our friend. In Jesus' name, amen.